This morning we are finishing our series called I Am a Church Member. And if you did not get a copy of your book yet, there's still time for you to read it. There's two more copies on the back table. There's one for every family. So if you did not get your copy yet and you missed something, you missed one of the weeks that were here, pick it up, read it. We kind of went through the ideas in that book. And uh, just what does it mean for us to be good biblical church members? Not membership. Remember, we're not talking about church membership. We're talking about what does it mean to be an active part of the body of Christ here at Mountain States. First, we've talked about being an active church member, not just letting Sunday mornings be all it is. Because we have stuff going on all throughout the week. There's VBS during the summer. There's small groups throughout the week. There's other kinds of ways to get involved in what God is doing through our church. The second week we talked about being a unifying church member, being united in common purpose, united in what God is doing through our church, both locally and globally. Week three we talked about being a selfless church member, putting our preferences aside. And coming together and saying, you know, I don't really like that song. I don't like that song. I don't like the, way, the scripture verse. We, I don't like this translation. I don't like putting our preferences aside and letting God work through us to reach everybody around us. Because it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Christ and what God wants to do through us. And week four, we talked about being a praying church getting on our knees and praying specifically for your leadership, praying for Regina and I and our family, praying for your deacons and their families as we try to lead this church in a way that is pleasing and honorable to God. And then last week we talked about being a leading church member and bringing your family to worship, leading your family at home, doing, working together to lead, especially men, leading our families in worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ and bringing our families into the opportunities to hear the message of God's word. And today we're finishing up with a series talk. We're talking about being grateful church members and understanding and recognizing the body of Christ as one of the greatest gifts, actually, that God has given to us on this earth. How many of you like to receive gifts? Okay, the rest of you, nothing for Christmas. We have a little girl whose birthday is coming up in a couple months. And since Christmas time, she's been going through this Playmobil catalog at our house. And she goes through it. Mommy, this one? Mommy, this one for happy birthday? Mommy, this one for happy birthday? Mommy, happy birthday present. Happy birthday present coming up. Mommy, this one, happy birthday. Mommy, this one. No, honey, that's too big. That one's too big. We've already got that one. You don't need that one. You don't need that one. You don't need, definitely don't need that one. Every day going through the catalog. And I remember as a little boy, my mom and dad would get the Sears Robot Catalog. I mean, if you remember the Sears Robot Catalog or the J.C. Penney Catalog. Three and four months before Christmas, what do we do? We'd go through it. I used to highlight it, put a big old D next to everything that I wanted in the catalog so my parents would go broke. And I was looking forward to those presents and those gifts. Now, I looked forward to Christmas. I looked forward to, to birthdays. Not aging, but I look forward to the gifts and things that I'm going to get. We all enjoy getting gifts. And we have to understand that this church, the body of Christ that God has given to us, is one of his greatest gifts that he's given to us. Now we have spiritual gifts, we have eternal gifts that he's given to us. We have the gift of salvation, right? We have the gift of salvation that he's given to each and every one of us who choose him, who choose to acknowledge him, who choose to submit to him. With that gift of salvation, we have the gift of forgiveness of sins, right? We have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and when you become a believer, you become a Christian, God lets his Holy Spirit come in and dwell you. I mean, these are awesome, 
awesome gifts that God has given to us. But what about on this earth? One of his greatest gifts is each other. Look in front of you, look behind you, look to that person next to you, the people down the row from you in your, in your seats there. They are gifts that God has given to you. Really? You're going, really? Those two little munchkins at the end of the row? Really? We are a gift to one another. The body of Christ corporately is a gift that God has given. As we come together as his children, this week as Jody's been in the hospital, right? She had a stroke last Sunday afternoon. Had an aneurysm. And by the way, she said, I'm only allowed to share this information with you if you commit to pray for her recovery. So if you're not going to pray for her recovery, put your fingers in your ears right now. Okay, so that means every one of you is responsible now for praying. Okay? She went into the hospital last Sunday with a stroke. And we're afraid we're going to lose her. It was touch and go all week. She got better, went into, actually they moved her from ICU to rehab, then had a relapse on Friday. She's doing much better this morning. She has been bathed in the prayers of the saints. She's been bathed by prayers, not just of our church, but people that she's known in Nashville, people that she knows in Texas, people that she knows worldwide, the missionaries that she's been a part of their lives, people that she's been engaging and becoming a part of their lives for years and years and decades are on their knees praying for her healing, praying for the wisdom the doctors, praying for peace on Dave and Drew and Julie and Billy and Joe, for peace in their hearts and their minds as they worry what's going to happen to her. That is a gift that we can come together as the body of Christ and bear one another's burdens, to rejoice together when we rejoice, to be sad together when others are sad, to come together whenever there's a need as the body of Christ to lift one another up. Think about it for a minute. That person next to you at the end of the row, that person sitting behind you, is here for you. You think, but I don't know that person behind me. Uh, There's a problem. You need to get to know that person behind you. Sharing life on life together. That's why we have these midweek life groups. The ones we have on Sunday night here, the ladies' Bible study on Monday and on Thursday, the Wednesday night group that meets up here. Those are our life groups, the teens that all meet together, so that we can do life together. Because what? Life is done better together, right? We come together so we can learn one another's burdens, so we can pray with one another, so we can learn what makes each other tick. Even that dog, we can learn what makes it tick. Because if we don't know what's going on with one another's lives, how can we be better involved and be better and more engaged? We can't. We're called as a body of Christ to utilize our gifts. Matthew 6.13 starts off, he says, Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do the Son of Man, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, 
But who do you say I am? That question that Jesus posed to Peter and to the disciples, who do you say I am? Now I'm going somewhere with this. You're thinking, how does this relate to us being, this church being a gift? He said, and Simon Peter replied in verse 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, why did Jesus say that? Why did Jesus say, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter? No. Our Catholic friends across the way believe that the church was built on Peter himself and he was the first pope. But Jesus is saying here, Peter, on your declaration of my divinity, on your declaration of who I am and what I'm going to do in this world, on your declaration and by faith proclaiming this, I'm going to build my church on that. And nothing, nothing, nothing will be able to stand against the body of Christ. As we worked overseas for 20 years, there wasn't always a building where people could meet. Now our church, a lot of you know that, it was 14 years our church was without a building, a physical building. We could say this is our church building. So it was this hotel, that hotel, this school, that school. But the church never dissolved because the church is not a building. The church is you. The church is is me. So when Jesus said here, on your declaration, on this statement of faith, you saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and in you we put our trust. In you we put our hope. In you I claim my destiny and my eternal security. On that, Jesus says, my church will be sustained. As we were in China, recently the Chinese government I've seen several news articles how they are now demolishing buildings. Mega churches there in China that for years have been allowed to thrive, allowed to flourish, allowed to, within reason, to preach what they wanted, allowed to get out and evangelize within reason, as much as the government allowed them to, openly. They've now gone and begun demolishing many of these churches tearing down those crosses that highlight the night sky. I loved in our town there in China where we lived, where the girls used to go to Taekwondo practice and, and they used, we used to drive up and down the street and the taxis, the church, the Yanji church right there. That cross illuminating the night sky. Red neon signs. When we lived in Korea for, all, for 12 years, love going up on our rooftop and all across the city there in South Korea you'd see red cross after 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 red cross and each one of those delineated where there was a church a congregation the body of Christ was meeting on a regular basis it was awesome seeing the name of God go forward in those countries and even when the when the government steps steps up in China and in North Korea, to try to demolish and demoralize, to destroy the church by knocking down a building, they're sustained. 
Because the church is not a building. The church is the people in the building. The church is us. The last pledge this week, as we talk about being a church member, I'll read it here and you can read it behind me on the screen. As we talk about why it's important as what it is to be a church member, it says, I am a church member. This membership is a gift. And when I received the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, I became a part of the body of Christ. I soon thereafter identified with a local body and was baptized. And now I'm humbled and honored to serve and love others in our church. I pray that I will never take my membership for granted, but see it as a gift and an opportunity to serve others and become part of something much greater than any one person or member. See, we come together, and hopefully you are led, you are led to this church, not because you necessarily liked my preaching, or you liked the music, or some other aspect, but you were led here and you decided to stay here because this is where you felt like God was wanting you to plug in and get engaged. And this is where God says, I want you to become a part of that small body of Christ to those body of believers because I can do more together with them than I can do by myself. And I want to participate in the ministry and the vision of that church and what God's doing through them locally and globally, globally around the world. Hopefully that's why you come. That's why you continue to come. I know I'm not the best speaker. I'm not the most eloquent speaker. I stumble over my words. I stutter, stutter, stutter from time to time. It's true. I'm not the best looking. Thank you for no amens there. I don't have the greatest head of hair. I don't, I'm not the most muscular. So you don't come for me. I understand that. My pride is not hurt by that. My kids remind me all the time, Dad. No, I'm not going to tell you what they tell me all the time. <laughs> but you come here because this is where God has led you to come, to plug in. And if this is where God has led you to plug in and come, you're to be involved and be an active church member. Some of the gifts that God has given to us, one of his greatest gifts, as we look at the biblical perspective on these gifts this morning and how we can utilize our gifts in his kingdom, the greatest gift he has given to us is salvation, is it not? The greatest gift that God has given to us is his salvation. Yesterday, part of my Starbucks ministry, you know I have from time to time. I was working on my slides here for today, and a kid walks up to me and he goes, so David, what are you preaching about tomorrow? I had these verses up on my screen. Next, good, next one. I said, well, let's take a look at some of these. What is it that, that I'm preaching on tomorrow? I said, I'm preaching on the greatest gifts that God has given to us, and the greatest gift he's given to us is his salvation. I said, why don't you look at these, some of these with me? <laughs> so. Anthony, what, what, do you, what do these say to you? He said, well, all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's a, all means all, and that's all all means, right? For all have sinned. And he goes, yeah, I, I guess that means all, everyone. I said, does that mean anybody has not sinned? And he said, no. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory. of. We've all fallen short of the perfect mark that God set out for us. I said, no, Anthony, what does that mean? What's God's perfect mark to let somebody get in heaven? I said, well, they have to be perfect in their own power. And nobody 
has ever been perfect. So therefore, we have all fallen short of the mark. Now, Pete comes pretty close. He's pretty close. So there's a reason why we call him St. Pete around here. But it's taken him 90 years to get there. All of us have fallen short. I said, Anthony, what's the next one? He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What does that mean to you? He said, well, it means that my payment for my sins is death. I said, that's right. You go to work, you go to get a job, you get a paycheck. You go to work, you do 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours, you get a paycheck. And your wages for your job for what you do are your paycheck. Our wages for us eternally for what we have done in our sins is death. We all get that. That is what we deserve. We all deserve death. But God's free gift to us is to overlook our wages, what we're owed. He overlooks our sins and he offers us the free gift of eternal life. I said, and you don't have to do anything for it. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be this wonderful person. You don't have to have everything in the Bible memorized. You don't have to have to understand everything in this book. I said, his gift is there. I picked up my coffee cup. And I said, I said now if, if I take this coffee cup and I've got a full of some sugary substance inside. Now I, and you know when I go, I drink the black stuff, right? But he likes the sugary stuff. So I said, if I had this nice caramelized macchiato mocha thingy with all kinds of sugar and frou-frou toppings in there, and I were to hold it out to you as my gift, I said, but you, re- you refuse to take it. Is that my fault? I'm offering it to you. Freely, take it, but you refuse it. Whose fault is that? He said, it's his fault not the one offering it. So you see, in our lives, God is offering us salvation. His free gift to each and every one of us is salvation. His free gift to us is forgiveness of sins. He's there. But if somebody chooses to not reach out and grab it and to receive it as part of their own, to acknowledge that he's a sinner and to receive God's forgiveness, it's not God's fault. It's our fault. That person's fault. Then I said, read number the next one. He says, for our sake, in 2 Corinthians, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. In other words, Christ became our sin. Our sin was placed upon him on the cross. Our sin was placed upon him, and he literally became my sin. And then his righteousness was doled out to me. So then now, when God looks at me, he doesn't see chief sinner David. He doesn't see all the things I've done. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ in my place. When I stand before him, when I die and I stand before him, he's not going to hold me accountable for all my sins because he's not going to even see my sins. He's going to see Christ. He's going to see Christ's righteousness. He's going to see the perfection in me. He said, you've done it. You are perfect. Come into my heaven. Now we know I've not lived a perfect life. We know, and no amens, thank you. We know that I am a sinner, that I sin every single day. But when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. 
He sees the perfection of Christ in me. Because why? Because Acts 3, 19, he says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. See, because I turned my back on my sins, I turned my back on my old life, I turned my back on what, could, what I could have become. And I acknowledge that I needed a Savior. I turned my back on that. And God forgave me. He plucked my sins out and threw them as far as east is from the west. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not of works, that no one may boast. It's not about how much good or how much bad you've done in your life. It's about how much good you receive of Christ's. It's about how much of Christ's goodness you allow to get in onto you. When He gives you His righteousness, He gives you His perfection, then you stand before God totally, completely perfect. I said to this young man yesterday, I said, so how tough is that? He said, well, it's really a no-brainer, isn't it? <laughs> That's really easy. I said, exactly. It's not up to how good you are. He said, well, what about Stephen Hawking? I said, well, Stephen Hawking died last week. He was a good man. He did some good things. He lived a good life. But all those mean squat compared to even one thing he did wrong. He said, well, where is he now? I said, well, according to his own testimony, he denied God his whole life. He refused to acknowledge there even was a God, which means he refused to acknowledge there was a Savior that had died for him. That cup that was being held out, that offering of forgiveness of sins that had been offered up for him, he rejected outright. I said, and by his own testimony, he's now separated from God for all of eternity. And that's sad. See, that gift of eternal life, that gift of salvation that God offers up for each and every one of us is there. It's available. And that's what Easter is coming up in two weeks from today. Two weeks from today, April 1st. No joke. April 1st. As we come together, we're celebrating the resurrection of Christ. We're celebrating Christ alive. He hung on that cross for several hours for us, took our sins upon his own shoulders, went into the grave for three days, got up and rolled that stone back and walked out of there victorious, walked out of there glorious for you and I. His offering had been received. His sacrifice had been received so that you and I could receive the free gift of salvation that God wants for each and every one of us. Because see, what happens once God gets in you, once you receive that gift, once God's, once He's changed you and removed all those sins, all of a sudden your desire to sin goes down. The power of sin is gone. The penalty of sin is gone, rather, in your life. But our desire to sin actually reduces, and that guilt comes in, that guilt you feel whenever you do sin, you're like, oh, God, don't look at me. And you try to hide Adam and Eve in the garden. What happened after they ate of the fruit? Right? They're hiding from God because they knew they had done wrong. They knew they had sinned. They knew that God in His perfection, that they could not be in His presence because they had sinned. So they tried to cover themselves. 
And God says, you can't cover yourself. I have to do it. So he killed the lamb, covered them with lambskins. Says, you can't, those fig leaves can't do it. Let me cover your sins. We try to live our lives perfectly. We try to live our lives so good, and we can't live good enough. We try to hide from God, and he sees us. There's no place we can go where we can hide from God. But you know what? There's no place we can go where we can't run and where God does not see us in our troubles either. Last Saturday, he saw Jody fall. And Drew said, he told me later, he said, I was supposed to be gone. I was not supposed to be home. And something impressed in my heart to stay home. So when she fell, he was there to help. The providence and the sovereignty of God in that life to help preserve that life. It's a miracle. See, this salvation that we get, this God that we worship, we come together and we sing some great songs and we read some scripture and we rejoice together because we serve a holy, righteous, awesome God. It's not just a picture on a crucifix or on a wall in our home. Those are symbols we look to draw us and cause us to remember how awesome God is. How what an awesome thing He's done for us. He has changed us. He is radically transforming us. He is transforming us by the renewing of our minds, making, bringing us more in line with His thoughts and His will in our lives. And He wants every single person possible to bow their knees to receive the free gift that he offers to them. And it's up to us just to get the message out. On your pews, there's a bunch of little, little tracks there. I want you to take that with you and you hand it to somebody and invite them to come to church in two weeks as we proclaim openly, we proclaim boldly the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. We proclaim to all who will hear, God is alive. He is not dead. They tried to kill him. They hung him on the cross. They put him in a tomb. They rolled a huge stone. They put a stamp on the front that says, do not open on penalty of death. The angel comes by and goes, blink. <laughs> Roll the stone. And Jesus walks out gloriously alive. For you and I. See, eternally, this is such an awesome gift. And this is his most precious gift that is given to you and I. Here on this earth, as we come together as the body of Christ, we have the gift of the church he has given to us to come together, to worship together to lead our kids in worship, to come together and bear, put out our, our sorrows and put out our, our rejoicings. Mark read the passage this morning. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, 20. It says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And look what God has given to us so that we can minister together, so that we can become a part of what His desire is for us. It says, you, God has appointed to the church first apostles, and second, prophets, and third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, and ministering in various kinds of tongues. I like to say I'm the first Baptist to speak in tongues because I speak four languages. 
I love it. All my Baptist preachers go, what? Well, if you can speak Chinese and Korean and Spanish and English, and I also speak a little Hanisa too, if you know that's how fun that is. I said, yeah, I'm the first Baptist preacher to speak in tongues. And they just look at me and give me a look. See, God has given to each and every one of us gifts so that we can be utilized, so we can utilize them within the body of Christ together. Dave told me this week as he was in the hospital with Jody, he said, you know, I'm not a very compassionate person. I said, really? (laughs) Really? I didn't know that. (laughs) But God has brought alongside of him compassionate people, merciful people with those gifts that God has given to them. And Dave says, I need to be more compassionate. (laughs) I need to let the mercies of God fill me more so that I can be, do this for others as well. So he's on the receiving end of the body of Christ this week. Those coming alongside saying, we want to love on you. We want to hug on you. We don't let the giftings of God be used in your life this week as you're in the hospital. See, God has given us these gifts. God has brought us all together with different, and it's not wrong that he's not necessarily such as compassionate a person as I am. He's not as merciful as somebody else is. Because God uses all of our giftings together, doesn't he? He uses all of us together. Some have a much more giving spirit where they're like, I don't know why that person doesn't want to give. I'm just pouring out the money out of my pocket to give to whatever need is there. And somebody else is going, I just don't feel led. Somebody else has got a, a, a huge faith and say, David, we just need to go and do this. Forget the, trying to come up with the plans and the steps. Let's just go do it. I believe God's in it. We're going to go do it. And somebody else goes, well, we need to step back. My faith's not there. But the person with big faith pulls along the person with little faith. The person with big gift of giving pulls along the person with a little gift of giving. The person with big compassion pulls along the one with little compassion. The person with big mercy pulls along the one with little mercy. The person with big love pulls along the one with little love. See how it all works together? So that we can accomplish more together in the body of Christ together than we can accomplish individually alone. I love it. He says, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. You are a part of the body of Christ. You are a part of the body of Christ. You are a part of the body of Christ. You guys, you guys, you guys, you guys are all part of the body of Christ and what God wants to accomplish in his church. What's so special about the church? First of all, it's a gift to be treasured. Think about it. This thing we call the church, it's to be treasured. That's something I got to go to. <sighs> My alarm went off on Sunday morning. I really wish I could sleep in. Pastor, why don't we have a 1, 1 p.m. service? I got to be there at 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. Why don't we have a Saturday night service like other churches? i got to be there. This is a thing to be treasured. Us coming together, I look forward to coming together. No matter when we meet, I look forward and long to see you. Even Rich, I long to see you all. I look forward to seeing your smiling faces. 
even those who sleep while I'm preaching. I look forward to seeing your smiling faces. And I don't say that because Mr. Kim just got off his overnight shift and he's over there nodding. So his wife's elbowing him. Wake up, wake up, wake up. I'll stand right here and preach if I need to. I, I really do. I long because I treasure you as the body of Christ. I treasure you as brothers and sisters in Christ. You are special to me. You are special to our family. And I hope that we and those all around us are special to you as well. That you look at each other and go, you are a treasure to me. Because you are worth enough to God. You are worth enough to Jesus for him to go to the cross for you. You are worth enough. You are valuable enough for him. Secondly, it's a gift to be anticipated. I kind of alluded to this already. I look forward to getting up in the mornings. I got my alarm set. When it goes off, I say, yes, today's the day. We get to go together and worship together. We get to lift up the name of, of God together. I get to sit up here and bang on my drums together. Well, not together. Individually bang on my drums as we worship together and lift up the name of God who alone deserves our worship I anticipate and love coming together. You know what else? God anticipates and longs for your coming together. He says, today's the day. That sweet aroma of the worship is going to be lifted up before my nose. How many of you ladies like essential oils and scented candles? Almost every hand's up in here. You know how beautiful your house smells when you got those things going? Regina walks around with a tea tree oil. She's anointing our home, especially when I come back from working out. She's anointing me, right? She makes it smell so beautiful. Imagine what our worship smells like to God as he anticipates us coming together and worshiping. Do you anticipate coming together on Sunday mornings and lifting up the name of God together? Do you anticipate getting together with your, your Bible study group or your life group and saying, we're going to come together and study the Word of God. I want to know more about what His mind is. I want to know how He thinks. I want to know how He wants to use me in, in this world. Anticipating what God is going to do. Thirdly, it's as a gift to be enjoyed. Not just the donuts and the coffee. Though we enjoy those too. This is a treasure, a something to be enjoyed together as we come together. Now, there is something called the universal church or all of the body of Christ together worldwide. We come together and we can rejoice and enjoy what God is doing around the world. This week, we're having the missionaries come in. We're going to have uh, Richard um, Connor up. I had a brain gap for a minute. Richard Connor from Kenya has been on the field for years and years and years. We're going to hear what God is doing in the country of Kenya. And we can rejoice together what God has been doing through him in that country. The Sterling family is going to be here as well. And we're going to hear what God has done through them in China and North Korea. As we re- and we can rejoice and enjoy through them vicariously the gifts of God. But beyond the, beyond the body of Christ universal, beyond being able to rejoice together what God is doing in Europe and in Asia and in South America and other parts of America and in Antarctica and with the penguins and all that stuff, we come together as well, the body of Christ local. Because this is where God has called us each to minister.
God has called us each to minister one to another. To lift up and to support and encourage one another. See, this institution, I talked to somebody else this week and he said, you know, I've, I've kind of believed this book my whole life. I've known it's a good book, but I've always been afraid of the institution of the church. Because he's seen the failings broadcast on the media. And he's seen preachers fall. He's heard about the divorce rate in church being higher than even the secular world, unfortunately, sometimes. He's heard, he's seen Christians with testimonies and all oh, that church over there. You know, you know what happened in that church? You know what happened in that church? But he said, you know, as, as we've been meeting Regina and I and meeting some of you guys, he said that you guys are different. And for the first time in his life, he's not afraid of the institutional church. Because this is what God is using here in Thornton, in this community around here, in the Signal Lake community, on Cottonwood Lakes Boulevard, up and down Colorado Boulevard, to reach our community, to reach one another, to reach out into each other's lives. Something to be enjoyed. Lastly, this is a gift to be appreciated, to be grateful for. Now to emphasize this, I'm going to read a story about ingratitude. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 to 28, there's a story. It says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. She said, And he said to her, What do you want? She said, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit on your right hand and your left hand in your kingdom. And Jesus said, You don't know what you're asking. Are, they able to, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said, Oh, we are able. Talk about pride, right? He said, you will drink my cup, but sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Who do they think they are? Little mama's boys sending mama in to go ask the master for something, right? And Jesus called to them, to him, he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever will be great among you must also be your servant. Whoever will be first among you must also be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom to many. Imagine the nerve, humanly speaking. Mrs. Zebedee, goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want to ask you for something. I want my two sons to sit on your right and on your left so they can be special. Because my sons are the most powerful, the smartest. I have the bumper stickers on my car to prove it. Three years, they'd follow Jesus. For three years, they'd been with him, day in and day out, 
day in and day out. James and John were two of his inner circle. Peter was the other one. The three of them were separated special several times to go and have special prayer time with Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, who did he say? As the rest were down there praying, he says, you three come with me and pray. At the Mount of Transfiguration, who got to go with him to see it? Peter, James, and John. And yet, the gratitude, they wanted a little more. Their mom wanted a little more for them. And the Bible doesn't say whether they went to their mom and said, Mom, would you go to the master and ask him for this for us? The Bible doesn't say. We don't know the pattern of events. We just know the end result. But the ingratitude that was there. See, when we look at the church that God has given to us, we look at this institution that God has given to us with that kind of attitude. Well, I deserve it. The country club attitude. I deserve this church. I deserve whatever I can get from it. I deserve my donuts and my coffee. I deserve to sit at the right and the left of Jesus. And Jesus said, wrong attitude. And then he portrayed and demonstrated the correct attitude. He said, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must serve as a slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. See, as we come together as the body of Christ, the gift is not so much what God has given to us, but what we give back to each other in the body so that when there's a need, we reach out, we open up and say, how can I meet that need? How can I help to meet? How can I serve my fellow man? How can I help to serve another in the body of Christ? How can I help to serve and, and, and become a servant to whatever the needs are that are out there? Is it a job? Is it somebody sick in the hospital? I keep pointing over here because this is where they always sit. and It's kind of funky seeing an empty pew, empty set of seats this morning. There are others in our congregation who are sick, who haven't been here in a while. Do you call them? Do you pray for them? Let them know you're praying for them? Go visit them? See, we, as a body of Christ, we're here to serve. 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 Jesus was our example as he hung on the cross for us, serving you and serving me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the gift of your church. I thank you, Lord God, that you have called us and set us apart for a special purpose. That we can come here this, this morning and come here every Sunday morning, Father, just to lift up your name and to worship you and to glorify your name. 
God, because you alone deserve it. You alone are worthy. Lord, this morning as we think about your gifts, we think about your gift of salvation. Lord, I pray if there'd be anybody here this morning that has never heard and never contemplated what you have done for them, that this morning would be that morning when we would commit ourselves to you. They would bow their knee before you and say, God, I submit my will to your will. The Bible says, the demons know who you are. But yet they don't submit themselves to you. And that's the key difference. Receiving that forgiveness and submitting my will to your will. Now, there may be others here, too, who have just taken this church for granted that you've given to us. And over the past six weeks, as we've studied this concept, maybe you're impressing on hearts and minds the need to become that active member or that praying member or that serving member, the leading member, the grateful member. Not having that country club mentality where you say, I, I paid my dues and therefore I deserve. But you say, God, you deserve all that I can bring. So Father, as we sing this final song, I pray that whatever is going on in hearts and minds this morning, you would solidify those decisions and give us opportunity to use our gifts within the body of Christ to make a difference. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.